This is Invest Like a Honeybee, the podcast where you learn to be smart with your money and invest wisely. Before we get started, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I'm not an investment advisor. Please make sure you discuss any changes to your portfolio with your registered advisors. I may continue to hold stocks I discuss in this podcast or not, depending on when you listen to this podcast. This is about Invest Like a Honeybee. I'm Henry J. Speck. Let's get started. In this week's podcast, I present my interview with Dr. J. Zygmunt from Child Free Wealth. Now, I found the topic intriguing, and I had to interview Dr. J. with regard to what it means, uh, what it means to be child-free wealthy. It just seems like a, a weird kind of title, but after you listen, you'll realize that it makes a ton of sense and also has to do with helping well over this is this is well over probably a hundred million Americans probably 10 million in Canada who choose to live life without children a fascinating interview here we go morning dr. J if you could just tell us a little bit about what you do and the fee structure for a financial planner Advice, fee only and advice only. So I don't charge percentage of fees or anything like that. No, I mean, there's a growing amount of people. You know, the advice only world, you pay us either hourly, monthly, or, you know, on a project basis. And that's how you pay your CPA, you pay your lawyer, pay everything else. So we're trying to push that and say, hey, here's people who can give you help, but don't take a percentage of your assets or anything like that. I found the title very intriguing about uh, child-free wealth. Could you explain a little bit more about that? how it came about, and, and what is really the purpose? Yeah, so most people don't realize somewhere around 20, 25% of the U.S. are child-free or permanently childless, meaning they don't have kids, aren't planning on kids, never. And what happens is when you don't have kids and it's not part of your financial plan, it's not just like you pull like, oh, the college costs out. It changes everything. You know, it changes the way you look at your finances, the way you live your life. And it's one of those things where you know, it's been overlooked. You know, when I did my CFP, they never once mentioned being child-free. It just doesn't exist. It's assumptions. Everybody has, has kids. So my wife and I are child-free, and I started researching and saying, well, you know, are we weird? You know, are we the only people doing this or what? And it turns out there's a lot of us. So the, here's the stats. About, you know, there's a study on Michigan found that about 20% of adults over 18 were child-free by choice. And about 5% were childless, not by choice. And I, and I use the two terms in, for a reason. You know, some people choose to, some people don't. And I actually, for my book, Portrait of Child-Free Wealth, did some research on this and asked the question, why do you choose to be child-free? And some of the interesting things was, first of all, most people had more than one choice. But to give you an idea, I'll give you some of the top ones. Never wanted children, 38%. Finances, 30%. Freedom, 27%. Then we get some interesting ones like environmental concerns. Worried about, you know, the environment and carbon footprint. You just don't like kids, medical issues, mental health, pregnancy concerns, all different types. Very well thought out process. In reviewing your background, I noticed that um, you were like a millionaire at the age of 21 and somehow it, the money disappeared by the age of 25. Can you just tell us a little bit about your early experiences with money? So I came out of, the, out of high school in the mid-90s and grew up broke and didn't have money for college. You know, and nowadays, everybody would just take out student loans, but... This is in the 90s, not so much what I wanted to do. And the one thing I didn't want to do was go into computers, which is, of course, what I ended up doing in the late 90s. 
you know, the internet was really just starting at that point. Um, I moved to New York City at 19, started working with a company, uh, doing sales in the internet world. And by pure luck, company went IPO. You know, it's one of those things when you're 21, you hit a million dollars. Awesome. Problem is when you've been broke your whole life, you know, you pay off your parents' house, you, you help your sister, help whatever. And then you're like, and, you know, the way I say it is I earned my first moment at 21 and spent it by the time of 25 because you don't have the habits to go with it. It must have been pretty tough with all that money and not knowing anything about taxes or, you know, what you're going to owe the government. It must have been very scary, I guess. Oh, it was ridiculous. <laughs> Actually, the bigger one from IPOs is you hit the AMT tax and then you get hit, you know, way too much. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It just disappears in seconds. So what were your life goals and professional goals at that time? You know, I was actually in healthcare and academia. Yeah, I was a paramedic and then I went to healthcare executive and did that. And, uh, you know, you come out of the psychology land, you eventually learn healthcare is all about finance, you know, and we'd love to say it's about patients, but it's not. Got burnt out and I was doing a lot of coaching. And I said, okay, well, let me do financial coaching. Let me do life coaching. Let me do executive coaching. And then you learn, if you're going to do financial coaching, you really need to become a investment advisor and all the legalese that goes along with it and CFP. So I'm one of those weird career changers who's now in finance who came from somewhere else. And now I'm doing life and financial planning for child free folks. Can you tell us a little bit about the sponge factor, what you saw and watched growing up as a child regarding money and life? Well, you know, I always say it as we were broke. So my mother was medically disabled most of my life. You know, I've been taking care of her since I was about 16. My father was a bus driver. And in the U.S., that doesn't make a lot of money. You know, the hard part is you get tips, get some money, make a little bit, be gone the next day. And probably learn more about what not to do than what you should do. But it's, it is what it is. I think the one thing they did instill in us was whatever you do, you'd be the best at it. If you're going to be the fry cook in McDonald's, you'd be the best fry cook you can be. And I think the hard part of that is when you get that in your mind, then that does drive you to a little bit too much. And, you know, it's that balancing act. But I didn't know what to do with money. The only thing I learned in high school was how to balance a checkbook, which is a giant waste of time. You know, we, you know, the reality check is in the U.S. We do a terrible job of teaching people what to do with money. And my family's no different. So I was doing a lot of, yeah, I was doing a lot of coaching. And the reality check is people need life coaching, but pay for financial coaching. It's just kind of how it works. You know, it's, it's a, a better approach. I think because I serve child-free folks, life and financial coaching are like intertwined, let's call it that. And really when you see the difference you can make in people's lives, it starts changing everything. I mean, you know, I, I actually, for a while, was a Ramsey, a Dave Ramsey preferred coach and came out of that, that debt land. You teach people how to get out of debt and you can see complete life changes just by giving them a hand and say, hey, I've been there. I've done stupid stuff. I can help you through it too. It's amazing. And, and there's a lot of, I don't know, shame and uh, regret that comes around money and just being there to listen and help them through and go, okay, there's a different future that's possible. It's huge. What are your thoughts on real estate as an investment vehicle uh, for your clients? Mm -hmm. So this is a great example. So child-free folks, buying a house is a choice, not a requirement. So when you look at real estate, you know, the standard life plan says you got to buy a house and pay it off when you retire or whatever. But for child-free folks that are going to bounce around the world, I mean, I, the editor for my book 
her and her dog uh, spend a month in an Airbnb and just go wherever. And I, and I never know where they are. They'll be in Jackson Hole one day in Vermont the next day. They'll never own real estate. And that's okay. But that goes against the standard life plan or standard financial plan. But for child-free folks, that works. Outside of owning your own home, what are your thoughts on real estate uh, for investment purposes, which is really what I'm intending to ask you about? For example, you know, buying a duplex, getting great management, having someone take care of it, and working towards cash flow and paying off that mortgage. Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of doing investment in real estate, too, for the same reason that the child-free folks are going to be moving all over the world. So they're going to be paying a, you know, if they buy investment in real estate, they're going to be paying a management company. If you're going to do that, just invest in a REIT, and then you don't have to have the leverage. Only if that's what you enjoy. You know, so I've got some people that, you know, love maintaining things and growing. Cool. That's what they enjoy. But as a financial, my thing is, how do we make your finances boring so then your life can be amazing? And having to worry about a water heater in the middle of the night is not a great way to be, you know, living. So how do you invest? I invest simply. I, my, stock, my stock portfolio is three things. The whole U.S., the world, and some bonds. I keep about 10%. ETF, three three fund portfolio. I keep a little money, about 10% out for like gambling, I call it, you know, individual stocks or something. I, something something that jumps at me, but that's just fun money. So what is the process or what does it mean to have child-free wealth? Yeah, so we talk about it as file, financial independence, live early, about how to set that dimmer switch for work, the right amount of work, the right time, you know, that restaurant. I, my wife always says she's going to quit being a professor and start a cupcake shop. I don't know, whatever, you know, like, you know, we all have those moments. But the, that worker's a great example. I have people go, okay, I'm making 120 grand. I've been doing well. I hate my job. And I'm like, so really what you just told me is for $120,000, you're willing to be miserable. And they go, no. I'm like, well, no, that's what you just said. Like, you're, you're trading your time, your happiness for $120,000, and that's what you're willing to do. And then usually what happens, they go, well, but I have bills to pay, and we'll do the whole budgeting exercise. They go, cool. So what you're really saying, and, and kind of follow this through, they go, well, I take a lot of travel because I hate my job, so I have to get away from it. Well, if you love your job, would you have to travel as much? No. Well, maybe you can cut back on that. And you, or, hey, I got this giant house, so I have this big old bill. So I have to work to do it. So it becomes a question of what's important. I call it Marie Kondo in your life. Figuring out what brings you joy and get rid of things that don't. You say, well, I don't really want to do this $120,000 job. I'd rather do this $60,000 job. Well, then we just need to cut your finances to, to match with it. Now, mind you, we started with, hey, I'm a no debt person. So if you have no debt, you can live on half the income. Or for example, in our child-free couples, Often couples will embrace what we call the gardener in the rose, where one's growing and one's providing support. So one of you quits your job, the other one's still making good money. We grow, we take turns. But I think what happens is we get so stuck on this hedonic treadmill that we have to earn more, earn more, earn more, spend more, spend more. And you go, are you happy? No. You know, the, you know I'm, I'm right now reading Dan Sullivan's The Gap in the Game. And, you know, they get so stuck in that gap of I need to do this, I need to keep up with this, I need to... They don't get the gain and say, hey, I'm doing fine. I can make changes. I can be happy where I'm at versus just always shooting for more income or more stuff. That's hard. It takes time to reprogram. Re, you know, I'm working on their mental models and saying, all right, how do we shift the way you think around money and life to ideally be happier? So you provide help, uh, financial help to your clients on a fee-only basis. 
But if you provide the help, don't you get frustrated when, when folks don't follow or at least listen to your plan? Yeah, I think part of it is I actually you know screen my clients. I don't take everybody. If you're not willing to change or learn or move, I'm not the right person for you. You know, so that's that's a start of this. You know, I've got people that come to me, and, you know, you, it's very obvious. They just want to, you know, they want to complain. They don't want to change anything. I'm not the right person to work with them. And I'm just open on that. I think what happens for most of the folks I deal with, they've been following the standard life script. This is the one that says you go to school, you get married, you have kids, you, you buy a house, blah, blah, blah. It's probably the first time they talk to somebody who understands them as a child-free person in a different life and a different lifestyle. And about a third of my intro meetings, people end up in tears. And part of that's because they just feel heard. They feel like, you know, hey, you know, they understand, you know, understand. And what happens is I meet with my clients on a monthly basis, probably similar to what you've done with your clients. I make one to two incremental change each month and celebrate that. And I will tell you the changes I've seen. I, you know, I got, I got somebody quit his job and he's hiking the AT trail for six months. It's what he always wanted to do. He was fine. He should. But, you know, it's kind of like giving them permission to do what they enjoy and enjoy their life and really find what matters to them. And it's amazing how often people are willing to make the change when you take it that incremental steps. I think the thing I am finding is I really can't, if somebody's goal oriented, I can't change that. You know, like, you know, that's just part of who they are. They've been rising grind, but I can shift the target. Instead of working so hard, they do the AT trail or, you know, like they, you know, they shift them to something else rather than trying to reprogram their entire way of thinking. One of the toughest things is when folks work so hard to accumulate wealth and then they're sort of told, okay, enjoy it on yourself. It's almost impossible for them to do that. How do you help them with that kind of a problem? It's a hard no, I, thing uh, to do. I, I'm with you, but. It really is. So watch this. This is where child-free folks are different. Child-free folks are embracing die with zero. We are literally trying to live and give and use our money throughout our life and not have money at the end. So it changed that. You got it. It changed that whole mindset. I spend more time talking to my clients about spending money than saving money. I'm talking about how to invest in themselves versus how to invest in the stock market. You know, where, you know, if you actually look at the numbers, people think, oh, well, child-free folks, because you don't have kids, you get more money. The answer is no, we don't. Our net worth, you know, the census found that single childless women have the highest net worth by a couple grand over the next group, which is fathers. It's not enough to make a difference. But part of that is because we're not worried about, you know, collecting all the money and passing on another generation. We're giving and living through our life. So I don't have people go, well, I want to have, you know, this or that, you know, when I'm and just working about that number because it's a different way of thinking. You know, if you really want to take it down, my folks don't want to retire and they don't want to die with money. So they're working throughout their life. They're doing their, what they enjoy and optimizing for that. And I will tell you, the financial planning software really gets messed up because it all assumes you want to pass on money. You know, it, it, you know there's some issues with the software, but it's a different way of thinking. It's not right or wrong. It's different. Yeah. So if you haven't read it, there's a book called Die With Zero by Bill Perkins. And he actually talks about it with kids. And he talks about the combination between time, money, and health. And that's really what you're talking about. So you have to optimize that equation. But here's the thing. You're a great example is your brain is going, I got to make more money. And that's where it's going. And I'm going, first question is why? 
And one of the one of those fun ones is always the question is whose voice is in your head? Who's telling you you gotta do this? And I actually think this is one of those areas social media is hurting people pretty hard because you know the rise and grind and the the show and all that. And at some point, because child-free folks are living a completely different life plan, I have to get them to ignore the standard life plan and go, what's your measure? Because I get people go, well, I'm, I'm behind. I'm like, bitch, you. Like, what race are you running? And that's a reprogramming. And where I've gotten to with a lot of folks, you know, your example, buying the house, they won't do it. Or I get people to travel or whatever. I go, all right, how about we do this? You spend $100,000 on travel and you give away 100000 they can do that because now it feels like, oh, I'm, I'm offsetting it. You know, whether it's a, uh, I've heard people call it the, the middle-class guilt, middle-class work ethic, puritanic work ethic. There's this thing like, if other people are struggling, I have to struggle. No, you don't. That's in your head. That's your own head trash that we need to work through. So the way we offset it is by, you know, worry about you and others at the same time. It's not perfect, but... It's one way, and by the way, you get tax benefits and all that go with it. But one of the challenges, you know, probably eighty-five. I'm sixty-seven years old, and probably eighty-five to ninety percent of people my age say, you know, they want to age in place. They want to live in their homes till they leave the planet. the The biggest problem we have is finding someone to coordinate that to make sure they take care of things. Um, how do people who um, have no children. I mean, I think this must be an issue. We don't, none of us want our children to have to take care of us or manage the care, but is it a special problem for those in your population? Yep. So I've been working on this for two years. Um, and I've been working hard to find somebody to be in us terms, financial power attorney, medical power attorney, executor, that really the person that making decisions for you when you can't. And I've gone out to, just about everybody I can find in the world and said, hey, who can do this? And in the U.S., different states have different rules and it gets gets really confusing real quick. I'm hoping in the next six to 12 months, I've found a company that we'll be able to start doing some of this work. Right now, the answer is there's not. But I'm talking about advocating for care. Right. For being able to coordinate that care. Yep. So I, I'm, even, I'm even going to the basics though. I can't even get one person to like make a medical decision for me, like, should I have care? Now in the US, we use aging care managers. There's people that can do that, but we have to get that basics done first. Like child-free folks, 32.1% will never be married. So we're talking huge, you know, they call it solo, a single population who may not have even somebody to go, hey, you know, let's make sure Henry's alive. Never mind, does he have the tomato sandwich? You know, and that's a US, we have a broken system, but it's, it's a huge issue. The U.S. Census identified this as an issue. They said, hey, all these soloists are a problem. And then, they, and then it was like, and? Like, now what do we do? The system assumes you have an extra kin. And if you don't, you're out of luck. Now, here's the... But I'm talking about someone who's going to make sure the quality of life is there. If I want a tomato sandwich in June, I want someone to be able to understand that and advocate for that. Um, because it can be extremely difficult when we talk about quality of life. We're not talking about surviving in an institution. We're talking about living to our highest uh, possible quality of life in our home. And, and that, that literally is what I spent my whole week this week working on this issue. And I can't, you know, I've got nothing to share immediately on it. But what happens is, in the U.S. at least, the legalese around this stuff is a nightmare. You know, so... If we give Henry the chips that he wants, 
and that you know makes him die two months earlier, even though it was what he wanted. Am I legally liable? Like that's the, that's the type of stuff we're trying to figure out because it sounds stupid, but that's you know what people sue for. So it doesn't seem like we have a solution, uh-huh. even though we have all these folks, you know, millions of people. We don't have someone to help coordinate this service. I'm with you. I'm so deep in this that it's it, it is it, it is a it is one of probably the biggest issues that needs to get addressed, especially for child free folks. Parents, I agree, you know, shouldn't put a burden on their kid, but, but at least child free, we have no other choice. Like, I mean, it's like there's no you want to see a government system break down, have no next of kin, because then it just like they, they start making their this is the problem. So um, you can get a trust company or fiduciary to do the finances. They won't do the medical. That's considered medical or house care, or, you know, home care, or whatever you want to talk. You can pay an aging life care manager to help you on that, but you have to have enough with it to do that. Right now in the U.S., for most folks, it would be the state making those decisions for you. See, this is my problem. Like, literally, I've been working on this. This is my, like, this is my uh, white whale because of such of the issues around it. In Texas, I was working on this for somebody else. No lawyers will do any of the, the medical part. Won't touch it. The financial part, the trust companies will only do it if you got, you know, 10 million plus in assets and then they're charging one and a half percent of your assets for life. You know, they'll pay your bills, but they're not going to, you know, make sure you get a care manager, make sure you get your tomato sandwich. This is exactly what I've been trying to do. And, and I've been, I've talked to all different companies and finally the answer we're coming up to is we're going to have to build it ourselves. But it's one of those things where I don't know how to handle it because you take in the U.S., there's 20, there's 300 million people or so, 20% of them are, US, are child-free. 32% of those are so are uh, soloists. You've got millions and millions of people that have no answer for who makes decisions for them. You, you better hope you have a friend or a family member that's willing to do it for you. So in Canada, you probably know uh, assisted suicide is one of the options for seniors in difficulty. So there's two states in the U.S. you can do that. And some people, you know, they call it the opt-out. They're doing the Switzerland plan. That's fine. Here's the thing. How do you actually get somebody from the U.S. to Switzerland to opt-out? I tried to work this through for somebody. They like had a long Alzheimer's history in their family. They're like, hey, when I lose my mind, I want the legal system in the U.S. You can't do it. It's as if we need some agency or some, you know, private group to take care of this need for seniors. So I'm not going with that answer because I don't trust any of the agencies. But, I mean, you know, so here's the way I look at it. The person paying the bill makes the decisions. So if an agency is being paid by the government, their decisions are going to be different than if I'm paying the agency myself. So where we're going down the line is trust companies and creating, you know, illegal entities to do this stuff. But, you know, we're in a lawsuit happy co- uh, country, so that becomes the, the hard part. And the government agencies, there are agencies that work on aging, but they their goal is to put you in a home and check a box and you're gone and you're like ignoring. That's not a quality of life anyone wants. Tell us a little bit about costing and what your service, how your service works when you help people. I meet with my clients every month for an hour via Zoom, hour offline of work, $500 a month. They get access to my 15 courses, 100 videos. And the rules of my clients is when you're not getting value, fire me. You're not with me forever. You, When you have an issue, come back when you need it. Thank you so much, Dr. J, for this interview. Look forward to talking to you again about the aging in place issue and uh, 
how I believe a advocate coordinator is necessary. And maybe together, even though you're in Mississippi, I understand, we'll talk some more and find some solutions to this problem. Thank you so much for this interview. Absolutely. I'll come back when we're closer on this uh, aging product because that's exactly what we're trying to solve right now. So. so my takeaway from this interview with Dr. J is just opened up my mind so much to these issues that uh, child-free the couples and, and people have, but also those of us with children. And it, it, it's such a fascinating area. I want to thank Dr. J again. Remember, you can go to his site, uh, childfreewealth.com, and check it out and just learn some more about this topic. And again, I'm Hank from Invest Like a Honeybee. Look forward to speaking with you again next time. To learn more about how honeybees can help you in your investing and personal life, go to investlikeahoneybee.com. There you'll learn how listening to the honeybees helped us in so many ways and can help you. Investlikeahoneybee.com.